Okay, so I'm now recording. I feel like every file must start with, okay, I'm recording, <laughs> you know. Hey, welcome to uh, Judge Movie, the 19... 19... Uh, bracket March Madness. I'm Ben Flanagan. I'm an Alicia, isn't he? Um... And we're taking a break from the usual structure to bring you something different, which if you've been following us online, you'll have heard all about already. But what is that? So it is the 1999 teen movie March Madness. March Madness is when they do a sort of playoff, pair-offs to, to find the best of the best. And we're doing that with teen movies. Yeah. It, there's so many 1999 teen movies that we thought... Uh, rather than dedicating episode after episode to cover like half of them, let's just pit them against each other in a death match and um, one will be crowned the prom queen. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and we've chosen 1999 specifically because we're doing something this year called the 99 Project, which is where we look back at movies released in 1999 and decide you know, what's their legacy like 20 years on? And and does 99 really deserve to be known as one of the greatest years in cinema? So today, rather than the usual courtroom format, um, there's this is no... Um, there's, there's nothing draconian here. This is all about the people. Okay, this is the people's vote. And you did vote in your dozens. Yeah, thank you so much for voting and taking part. I was I was actually quite surprised by some of the results and I don't know if I could maybe do a little lawyer magic to to persuade to persuade you on on the outcome, eventual outcome, judge. I don't know. I think I feel like the people have spoken. Um but we can at least judge the people. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh so how are we doing? So 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 we we open up the voting on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and they had pretty much the same results all the way through. Um, mm -hmm. But we've we've added up the votes together here to create um, a, a, a ultimate score for all of these. Mm -hmm. uh, I did just want to say a little bit about the, the sort of teen movie cycle that these movies are a part of. Um, so, so I'm sort of, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to call in a, a star witness for, to to talk about this um, this teen movie cycle um, identified by Charlie Line as going from 1995 from the release of Clueless to 2005 with the release of Mean Girls he calls this 10 year period sort of a, a teen movie renaissance um, where there were hundreds and hundreds of teen movies released in this period more than any other before or since it was like a really a real real era for this kind of movie the high school movie um and there were there are so many different kinds of them and it was really just like a dominant force of filmmaking in hollywood at that time and they're really unique and fascinating kind of movies and i love them i grew up with them and they're, they're super supremely influential so it's an exciting era 99 obviously coming right in the middle of it um and yeah, it's a good good way of looking at that era. Sure. Uh, do you, I don't know if I, I might dispute the idea that um, there haven't been as many made since. I, I don't know. I feel like, especially now, um, and on TV, 
although we might want to ignore that, but like, you know, stuff like Love, Simon and To All The Boys I've Loved Before. I feel like the teen movies are always still going, right? I think they are. But the thing is, with just take 1999, for example, there were over 30 teen movies released that year. And I just chose, we just chose the top 16 for our bracket. We had to cut movies out to, to make this bracket, you know, workable. Otherwise, it'd just been too many movies. And while there have been some good gems released every year, there's not as many as that. And like all 16 of these, you know, have got a, a cult audience or a massive audience. They're all remembered. Um, so I think it's wow. definitely a significant force. I think there's some, ex- uh, yeah. No, I won't. I won't disagree. I think a couple, fair number of these have had a big cultural impact. Um, but what were some of the honourable mentions? Um, so yeah, there were a few that we couldn't include because uh, if you had more than sixteen, it would have been too confusing. So I really wanted to include um, Idle Hands, which is a movie where Devon Sauer's hand gets possessed by the devil, and he's like the stoner slacker. But then he's got this really incredible physical performance where his hand is just doing the things that he doesn't. He can't control. There's also Drive Me Crazy with Melissa Joan Hart, um, also the same as the Britney Spears song. Um, there's also Never Been Kissed, which is where Drew Barrymore is a reporter that goes undercover as a high school student. Um, and there are a few more that you can also see um, on our WordPress in the show notes. Um, you can see a list of well, every movie released in 99 that couldn't, sadly couldn't be included. But yeah, we should get on to the top the top sixteen that did did make it in. Yeah, so um, these were rather than seeding uh, as would happen in a sports tournament, we grouped the movies by theme. So um, the first theme for round one was literary adaptation, uh, and then we've got ten things I hate about you based on the taming of the shrew, and we've got cruel intentions based on. Uh, la liaison dangereux, or the dangerous liaisons, if you're not so yes, versed in, the, uh, in French. The 18th century French novel. Um, so they've they've relocated the arist- French aristocracy to the upper upper east side, the upper west side of uh, New York in high school. Yeah, and I, I, I that's a pretty, a good pretty job. classic uh, 90s film, I'd say. You've got yeah. the uh, the kiss between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair. That's a, that's kind of a classic moment. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of sharp um, barbs, especially between uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe, who um, they uh, was it they come up with a bet to seduce. Is it, is it like to sort of out seduce each other? Yes, it's very complicated. They've both got bets on to seduce various people um, for like prestige and reputation to prove sexual prowess and uh, things like that, um, which is like kind of a common theme for a lot of these movies. There's always a wager or a bet involved. Um, and I, I do quite like Raw Intentions, but I always found it so, it takes itself so seriously with all the manipulations. Like it's so. It is a comedy, but it's so like into itself. I found it kind well, of quite like, silly. I guess it's it's that's something from the the period drama, which you know has like quite a horrible rape scene at its center, um, and is still because of because of its era like a comedy. It's still got like a light, fluffy kind of piece. So I guess um, where like the Stephen Frears adaptation kind of gets into that darkness. Um, maybe in making it a high school movie, they haven't really 
done that with such a plum. Uh, that's Roger Cumble wrote and directed that. Did he do much else? Not really, no. I think he was involved with the Cruel Intentions sequels. Um, oh, and yeah, some other things. But this is probably his best and most celebrated film. It is, like, very sort of sophisticated looking. And I think it's obviously an influence on Gossip Girl with that kind of New York elite yes. uh, kind of steaminess and high school shenanigans. And you could say with like the Veronica character in Riverdale as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that kind of like lofty, lofty dialogue, but I don't think it's, I don't think it comes together as well as 10 Things I Hate About You. Um mm-hmm. Which I think was reflected in the voting as well. I mean, mm-hmm. 10 Things I Hate About You beat Cruel Intentions with a robust 78% mm-hmm. to Cruel it's Intentions true, yeah. 22%. I think, yeah, had the parents been a different, maybe Cruel Intentions could have gone further because it is so beloved, but it didn't really stand a chance against 10 Things. Yeah, maybe it deserved better than the first round, but um, but 10 Things I Hate About You is, you know, watching it again today, that is kind of a, a perfect film in a lot of ways but we'll, maybe we'll get to that uh so the next pair up was about films that involve uh makeovers um so we've got jawbreaker and directed by roger stein starring rose mcgowan who uh makes over judy greer um so she becomes she starts off as this very mousy girl called Fern and then she gets made over into Violet because she finds out something very terrible that Rose McGowan accidentally did. Um, and then that goes up against She's All That where Freddie Pince Jr. Um, is bets that he can turn any girl into a prom queen. So Paul Walker makes him make over Rachel Lee Cook um, and that's kind of an adaptation update of Pygmalion. Yeah, I mean, watching that, that yeah, could almost have gone in the first um, bracket. Um, yes. I mean, it again, if you compare that to 10 Things I Hate About You, which superficially there is, they're almost identical. Um, mm-hmm. She's All That just has no sophistication. Uh, all the, the characters are so kind of ugly and misogynistic in it. And, and without the film really getting into anything uh, surrounding that, I, I found it... Um, kind of emblematic of like everything that's bad about teen movies, and especially about the like, '90s films. You know, the kind of lazy uh, references, um, Paul Walker, um, the big Miramax sign at the start of the movie, uh, the soundtrack. It was, I, it was like pulling teeth. Did you just say Paul Walker is emblematic of everything wrong with the teen movie genre at that time? Paul Walker is terrible. He's in another one of these films as well, isn't he? Um, he is um you know i think i like him i think he's got a good presence um he he's you know he's perfectly sculpted and he kind of brings energy he comes into these Um, scenes with freddie prince jr and he he, he's like struggling to keep up freddie prince jr is not exactly you know joaquin phoenix but walker's like barely even there he's just kind of i don't know a physical presence maybe i i just could couldn't buy any of these guys as even high school students. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that is a, is a common problem. You can't always cast kids um, as the kids. Um, yeah, but can we let it off for that? I mean, 10 Things I Hear About You, Heath Ledger does look about 30, but um, he has this, you know, he's so charming. 
and so useful in that film. I know he's, the actor was probably only about 21, wasn't he? But still, mm-hmm. he plays a teenager. I don't think Paul Walker does. Paul Walker's just a luggage. That's the thing, though. That's what he does. That's what he does best. He kind of, you know, channels his physicality into these roles. I, I like But he doesn't Walker. channel it in a as a teenage um, jock. He's just a, a man. Okay. I just don't. I Possibly. don't believe him. You look at him and you're like, "That is Paul Walker." And Freddie Prince Jr. isn't doing much better. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of She's All That. It is quite popular. I mean, is. the cast is quite fun. The cameos and the cast list goes. You know, that list is amazing. Matthew Lillard so is amazing up. in it. Like, don't mm-hmm. you know? And if if we were to uh, create a you know a dream team of um, of teen nineties teen actors, Matthew Lillard would be high on that list. Mm-hmm. Um. yes something that always bothered me about she's all that so it's kind of ridiculous to say that rachel lee cook is not attractive she's supremely cute so it's kind of ridiculous that the, that it's difficult to make her over <laughs> yeah that's but that's try... another thing that kind of hurts the whole um well so then i think in the movie they tried to justify it by saying she has a bad personality and that's why she's so unlikable but then she never they never do anything with her personality for her to overcome it and become a cool person. She's I, from what I remember, she's like still an asshole. Yes, and I think that's especially to put it next to Ten Things I Hate About You, where um it's not about her being it's not about her attractiveness or her looks. It's about the notion of like your spirit and like taming that, you know, fire inside you and what that even means. Um mm-hmm. which is just you know, and they, and they they help each other out, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, she cha- they change each other. Where in she's all that, and you know, you it's the source material as well is is part of it. Um, I've never really been a fan of like um, the Pygmalion myth in anything other mm-hmm. than kind of what it says. You know, it it says a lot of kind of sexist things. I say, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a kind of straight-faced version of that. I think I don't think it's it's particularly ironic or anything, is it? Beyond the surface signifiers of like putting it into a high school setting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's not. It's an iconic one, but it's not not for the not for any especially good reasons. And I am quite disappointed to see that it beat Jawbreaker, which is sort of more of a cult classic. But it's also looking at these cliques in high school and what a makeover can mean. Um, I think it does have quite a big cult audience. It's also more of a horror film. I think at the time people really didn't like it because it was just so nasty and such a black comedy. But um, I think it's really one worth looking out for. Um, it's got this great, the outfits are, you know, celebrated across the internet, across Tumblr. And it's got this very sort of acidic look to it. And all the primary colours are slightly off. They're too bright and too, too, too much. And I think it's, it's definitely worth checking out. But that lost, sadly. Um, she's all that took the took the lead against that one with sixty seven percent. R.I.P. Jawbreaker. So the next category is teen sexuality, um, mm-hmm. where we matched up uh, two titans of the genre. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a cheerleader. Uh, the Jamie Babbitt film uh, starring Natasha Lyonne as a cheerleader who. Um, is in disbelief that she's gay because um 
she's a cheerleader and that's not what cheerleaders are. So uh, RuPaul drags her to a gay conversion camp where she has all mm-hmm. sorts of adventures. Um, and that... Well, she falls in love. Falls, it's beautiful. It, it, yeah. Well, yeah. It, I mean, I, I saw that for the first time uh, this week. Um, and that is, you know, it is a pretty superb film from the... Uh, you know, from the kind of John Waters um, playful satire aspects of it, uh, all mm-hmm. the way through to that romance, which is so beautifully developed and and realised, mm-hmm. um, and that went up against American Pie, um, mm-hmm. which you know is not a tender film by any means, but uh, I think there's not many kind of foul, gross-out comedies that can top it. Really, Man fucks a pie. Yeah. Yes, American Pie is great. It's got, I mean, it it spawned many sequels because it was so much so loved. I don't think any of them really achieved the greatness of the first one, but um, it's it's good. I think it also does have a lot of heart to it. While it like excels at the comedy set pieces, American Pie is also very, you know, those boys and those girls, and it's really quite touching the way they they handle sex. I think. I think so. I think the cast is great. Like you can't say Sean William Scott isn't. Uh doing kind of oscar worthy work as stifler um who became an iconic character he was kind of the mclovin of his day um <laughs> uh yeah it just worked jason biggs for a minute seemed like he was about to become like the next woody allen or something uh-huh. um it's a it's a pretty great movie mm-hmm. um i think it was a shame to see it get so thoroughly trampled by but i'm a cheerleader which beat it mm-hmm. with 74%. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, when you put the two side by side, they can only you can only really put one forward. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to be, but I'm a cheerleader. But mm-hmm. I think that, it, you know, in a way, American Pie is emblematic of the genre as a whole. Yeah, I think where American Pie is successful at, at that kind of typical kind of movie of that era, but I'm a cheerleader is kind of slightly more radical with the with this approach. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, but I'm a cheerleader is an indie film, um, and American Pie isn't. But um, so I think that kind of gives cheerleader a little bit more leeway. And I also think, but I'm a cheerleader. Maybe it's had to grow this kind of cult audience and become accepted mm-hmm. as a really important um, LGBT film as well for that to kind of help its status where American mm-hmm. Pie, because it was the most gross thing in 1999, inevitably uh, has kind of softened with age. Um, okay. I don't think it yes. looks as bad yeah. now as, like, Revenge of the Nerds does. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if you look at something like Super Bad, what was what was another teen movie, like, more recently? What was the last one? Why, why am I drawing a blank now? Well, you're saying that, like, the reputation of American Pie was so, like crazy and gross out and i guess radical for 1999 that 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 reputation is kind of softened over time yeah it's inevitable it's like porkies or or uh, animal house don't look particularly out there today mm-hmm. you know caddyshack is like unwatchable and i think american pie is in that kind of mold where um the kind of dated aspects of the production of but i'm a cheerleader um can kind of uh, improve with age you, know, okay, you look yes. at that amazing production design that's all pastels and, um, you know, it, it, every set is so perfectly um, 
kind of match to a particular color um reading a lot of the reviews from the time that like wasn't seen as a as a plus but i think now has kind of become part of the 90s aesthetic or whatever reason that we might respond to it better now yeah i guess with a lot of those films you can talk about the reception then and the the reception now um yeah and i think and i guess part of that is what will have carried certain films through um yeah so american pie consigned to the because what is people's interaction with American Pie now? Do people really watch it on Netflix? Is it... Because uh, to me, I, I came to those films um, as they were always on like ITV3 on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So I'd always watch them as a teenager. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was about 10 years after they'd been on air. Uh, been, been in the cinema. So um, I, just, I, I just feel like the, the culture around them will have changed. Uh, so our next category were our, um, sequels because the teen movie was so significant at the time that they were they were making sequels for for older movies because they just wanted to keep cashing in on this teen movie craze. Um, so we had Freeway Two, Confessions of a Trick Baby, up against The Rage, Carrie Two. Um, so Freeway Two, Confessions of a Trick Baby, was actually not originally a sequel, but in release they decided to call it a sequel just to cash in on the cult success of freeway which was released in 96 with reese witherspoon uh both films are written and directed by matthew bright and both films are kind of adaptations of fairy tales but now as exploitation genre movies um and so i wanted to to include that there because for that reason um and freeway 2 lost to carry 2 and I can't really say I'm surprised. Freeway 2 is kind of not really my favourite movie. I love Freeway, but Freeway 2 is, is is kind of... So it's so... Trying to be so gross and horrible that it, it, it doesn't really fly. It's, it's, it's just kind of a bit of a downer. I don't, I don't know anything about Freeway, so I don't... I, have, I haven't seen the sequel either. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vincent Gallo's in it? Yes, he's really terrifying in that movie. He plays like a nun witch or something, and he's got his creepy high voice, and it was it was kind of upsetting to me. Uh, I don't really enjoy this movie, but if you like Vincent Gallant, you might find some value in that performance. Well, he's a friend of the show, so <laughs> gotta give him a shout out. Um, yeah, is it better or worse than Carrie Two? I don't know. I I guess. Carrie T feels a bit more artistically unique and cool. Um, it's kind of like a goth kids dream movie. So Carrie T has that going for it, and it did did take the lead with that one at seventy seven percent. I wonder if that was just name recognition as much as anything, though. Um, Do you think? Well, Carrie T is is a really bad film, um, <laughs> and. I watched it for the first time yesterday. Sorry, I watched the first 30 minutes yesterday and I had to turn it off because... You can finish it. No. um, I love Carrie, a book. I love uh, the Brian De Palma movie. I love everything that's going on there. Um, Sissy Spacek, classic. Um, This had nothing, nothing of the original spirit. Um, No style to me. Um, It was just like a really poor... 90s film that was kind of unwatchable and it 
I don't know, watching a lot of these films back to back, the whole aesthetic started to really um, make me feel a bit ill. And I think Carrie 2 was, <laughs> was, was not helping that. Found it poisonous. Yeah, it's not, it's not strong, um, but it does have its fans. Yeah, it's a strange one. I guess maybe to a producer, the idea of a sequel to one of the most iconic teen movies to do that again in the 90s makes sense. But um, I don't think, yeah, they didn't really bring a lot to that myth. No, it's not even like, you know, Grease 2 came around a little bit later. Uh, not quite as big a time difference, but they both got John Travolta in. And I think Grease 2 at least kind of has the right um, the right tone. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that one gets a little bit more serious. Carrie 2, I don't know. It was it was really like someone had never seen De Palma, and then when they started using the flashbacks, I was just like, "You, yeah, yeah." It did nothing for me, nothing. Hmm. Yeah, you didn't get if you didn't watch the ending, you don't see how like camply evil the jocks become. It's like ridiculous how how bad they become. You, you missed out there. Um, I guess so. I'll, that'll you know. You can never watch all of the films. That's the thing you have to accept in life. Um, But it did make it to the next round. uh, Yes. It'll be back. Um, Then we had period drama with a female ensemble. um, Mm -hmm. And we pitched uh, The Virgin Suicides, the Sofia Coppola uh, adaptation of the Jeffrey Eugenides novel um, against... Girl Interrupted, uh, which is James Mangold's uh, adaptation of the Susanna Kazan memoir, famously starring Winona Ryder and the Oscar-winning Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's also Winona Ryder's um, first and one of her only producing credits. She really was, I think, the author of this piece. You know, she she got the rights to the novel. She chose James Mangold. She really championed this movie like insisting on playing the lead role when she was maybe like 29, 28 and the character is, is 18. Yeah, I mean, it certainly she, she feels away like, with it. It, it does feel like she is gunning for Oscar in this. I feel like everything about this is is kind of aiming for prestige and I guess getting it, but it, it feels a bit um, hollow a film as a result, I think. Do you think so? I don't know. I think knowing the backstory behind it, like knowing how passionate Winona Ryder is about it, you can feel... If, to me, it reads as personal. Um, and I think there's a lot of angst and anger in that film. And I think it does that well. I think the um, the 1960s period is evoked in kind of, I don't know, easy ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think James Mangold is, um, I don't know if I'd call him a hack, but he's he is a hired hand, isn't he? Um, and I, I think he's I kind think of. So. Well, apparently she you know, hired him on every... the strength of uh, of his of his debut, which was about um... Copland. I don't know, heavy. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, I think it was just a Sundance hit about and the way he handled mental health and alienation and loneliness is what drew Nona Ryder to to him. I don't know. He's he's just um, he's just one of these directors I've really struggled to to see the style, to kind of feel anything uh, that transcends kind of just the script at any point with his films. Um, 
he always just seems kind of steady but boring. Like Logan to me is a very boring film. Uh, even ones like Walk the Line, just did they do nothing? And this one, I don't know. Angelina Jolie's got a lot of charisma in it, but I feel like Winona Ryder's playing. I don't know. Maybe because she's kind of leading it. She, uh, I don't, yeah. I'm not. I don't know what to say. This one, this one doesn't doesn't do it for me. Okay. Um, but you're more I still of a respect fan, so. Yeah, I still respect it. I probably would... Um, yeah, no, I think I think there's something there. I think maybe what you interpret as James Mangold's steadiness is more him just being in service to the material, like letting the writing speak for itself and things like that. He's not, not super showy. Um, yeah, it's not... For me, his films are always quite memorable. I'm not just saying showiness, but like uh, kind of lack of... Um... Yeah, just a, a lack of um, distinction. Well, I guess our audience agreed with you because Virgin Suicides took the lead in this one uh, with 71%. Uh, which is another, you know, it, that's an adaptation that is um, definitely in service of the material, but through its style and through the way it evokes the mood of that era, I think is what what kind of lifts it up a little bit. Okay, yes. I guess if you are comparing auteurs in that way, um, then, yeah, you can sort of see Sofia Coppola more clearly in that, that film. I don't think it's just about seeing a, one author or another, but, like, actually the the mood of the of the piece, I just think, is that there is just a lot more mood in Virgin Suicides where Girl Interrupted often breaks into histrionics. Maybe that's part of that's because it's set in a, you know, in a mental asylum... Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, they've got this ensemble, a kind of gang of people working together in one way or another. Yeah, I don't know. I just think Girl Interrupted is always aiming for prestige, aiming for like seriousness. Um, so our next uh, matchup were teen satires. Um, I think it makes sense to to use high school or teen settings to satirise something bigger. So in election, um, it is about a high school student body presidential election where Matthew Broderick plays a teacher who kind of becomes so obsessed with Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, he kind of wants to sabotage her chances at winning the election because she's just too ambitious and, and, and he, yeah, he kind of hates her. Um, and Drop Dead Gorgeous is a is about a small town beauty pageant where it's this mockumentary following the, the progress of the beauty pageant and competitors keep dying in mysterious ways. So they're both kind of satirising um, the media and politics, but in a, in a small, small scale setting. Yes. And I think ele- election is um, probably more sophisticated in some ways. I mean, Drop, Drop Dead Gorgeous is directed by um, Michael Patrick Yan, um, mm-hmm. who's from the state, uh, that, that great um, sketch show from the early noughties. Um, so it has a kind of more slapdash, um, you know, close to like Christopher Guest's kind of energy or the kind of thing okay. you might see from the Lonely Island later on. Um, mm-hmm. And great comic turns from like Amy Adams and uh, Kirsten Dunst. Even Denise Richards is pretty funny in it. Um, yeah. Also Brittany Murphy. Of um, course. She's, she's really great in that. Um, but I think Election just, yeah, to me is, is a more sophisticated movie um, mm-hmm. that's very funny and sharp um, 
and doesn't let the Matthew Broderick character off the hook. He's mm-hmm. a total sack of shit. You know, a story like that could very well feel as creepy today as something like American Beauty does. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little bit smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Reese Witherspoon performance is iconic, isn't it? She should have won the Oscar that yeah, year. Absolutely agree, yeah. Um, so that one was a little closer, but Election did beat Drop Dead Gorgeous with 56%. Brittany Murphy would probably also be in the uh, ensemble cast, the dream ensemble cast, mm-hmm. between that... Uh, between between Dr. Gorgeous, Girl Interrupted, and Clueless. Yeah, she's definitely a titan of the era. Certainly. I don't know, who else do you think is, is kind of... Uh, Witherspoon might be in there, Reese, mm-hmm. And Chris Klein, of course. Yep. <laughs> uh, Mini Savari, maybe? She uh, shows up in Carrie 2. Does she? Who was who is it that was in Ghost World and American Beauty? She's Thora Birch. Thora Birch. Yes. She's definitely one mm-hmm. of the era. Um, mm-hmm. So, speaking of of teen actors, mm-hmm. which I guess is what we're doing, um, <laughs> Dawson's Creek Corner is the next category. Yes, yes. I wanted to pay um, tribute. Um, to Dawson's Creek, which was released in 98 and it ended in 2003. Um, and that was really a massive, massive hit. Um, and it really uh, kind of took teen drama into a new direction. It was super, supremely influential um, in TV. And also in film, you saw a lot of the, the, the core four and the actors show up in movies in 99. And so I wanted to acknowledge the acknowledge Dawson's Creek with these with these next few pair ups. Um so you've got Dick um with Michelle Williams coming up against Varsity Blues, which starred James Vanderbeek. Uh yeah, um so Dick uh has a amazing setup which is that Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams are teenagers who uh accidentally stumble across the um the Watergate conspiracy and become friends with Richard Nixon and become his uh dog walker Mm -hmm. um i was so sold on this one but just found it a little Mm -hmm. bit lacking i'm really surprised to hear that yeah i've always loved this movie um i think it's a great sort of satirical farce reimagining of the watergate scandal um i feel like the attention to detail and production design and the costumes are so good i love these outfits um and I think the performances from Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams, they do like naive and slightly ditzy characters, but with 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 real heart. Um, and I think they're just really great in it. They they are, but they're, I don't know, they're, they're quite one-dimensional, where I think um, they kept reminding me of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Uh-huh, uh, and I yeah. think that's a film where those characters get a little bit more to do with each other and have a little bit more de- I, I mean i found the entire like michelle williams falling in love with richard nixon thing uh weird and i didn't like it at all um i don't know but it's that kind of teen obsession thing that needs to be represented in 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 these teen movies and i think they do a good job with it in in dick maybe i i didn't find it funny enough i think that was maybe it um and you've... Do you think maybe that's like the specificness of the references to Watergate and like stuff at the time? Could be. Oh, I mean, and the soundtrack is like 
or really had me like nearly turning the movie off because it was just like every film, every tr- song that's in one of the Tarantino movies, and then. And it's not the fault of Dick, but like every 70s song that is in Guardians of the Galaxy is also in this film. Um, <laughs> uh, Dick got there like, first. And it, but it was like several songs per scene. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I was just, oh, it was, I had to kind of clench teeth through, through it. Um, That's a shame. It's yeah. funny. It's just not like super sharp, I'd say. It's like an yeah. okay time. Okay. Well, I'm disappointed about that, but... I mean, it deserved to beat Varsity Blues. <laughs> yes. Tell me about that. Um, well, well, should we save that for a little bit later? Okay. Because, yeah, Varsity Blues took took the lead in that one with 59%. Um, the sports drama in a small town in Texas just, you know, t- took it almost to the top. Well, sorry, spoilers there. No spoilers. Um, so the final category is the Katie Holmes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katie Holmes, also star of Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was in Kevin Williamson's film, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which was his follow-up to Scream. Um, mm-hmm. He was a writer of Scream. Um, and that's got Helen Mirren in as well. That's a kind of, um, I guess, like a psychological thriller. Um, I don't know what the I fuck guess this is. You could call it um, that. It's, it's kind of... It's kind of doing so many things at once. It's do- so teaching Mrs. Tingle is about these high school students who try to reason with their horrible, evil teacher played by Helen Mirren, but things escalate and become more violent than they ever imagined. And it's kind of doing like a black comedy thing with this because they're like these inept criminals, but then it also wants to be like this, you know, violent melodrama, but it's also not really condemning anyone enough. It's It's kind of a mess, this one. Total mess. No, I think I think you're you're right. It just doesn't know what it's saying. Like sometimes it's the kind of, um, you know, the Tarantino like crew movie. Someone's kidnapped. Yep. We've got them tied to a chair. Like, uh, who's gonna do what? And playing with that, I just yeah. Um, Helen Mirren is is so hammy in it as well, but she's quite enjoyable. Yeah. But like, she is a yeah. fan. I think her performance really is probably the strongest thing in this movie. Um, it's the most consistent thing. Yeah, it's she's so consistent, but then like everyone else around her is so bad that it almost makes it worse. <laughs> yes, it it doesn't kind. Of, it, yes, when there's one great performance, it kind of does makes yeah, as you say, makes it worse for everyone else who's like if they're okay or not. As yeah, good. and it makes her seem more ridiculous as well. Mm-hmm. Her character, um, but that went up against Go, uh, which is definitely a. A Tarantino influenced um, movie. That's a kind yes. of crime yeah, drama it's... that plays with time and stuff. Yeah, it's got three interweaving stories, um, all based around this kind of drug deal gone wrong. Um, you've got Sarah Polly and Katie Holmes, who appears quite prominently in all three stories. Um, as they're like these sort of disaffected. Uh, supermarket store workers um, and then kind of go on an adventure on, on a Christmassy Christmas party. Um, how do you feel about this movie? Uh, I think it's okay. I think it's the kind of movie you might stick on uh, like before a night out or something. Uh-huh. It can kind of, you know, it's quite energetic. 
Um, it's probably dated. I've not really seen it since for probably nearly 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. It was never one of my favourites. But, you know, was it Doug Lyman's first movie? I think you can see. No, this uh, is his second movie following Swingers. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did have hopes for teaching Mrs. Tingle. As you say, I had, it was Kevin Williamson, writer of Scream, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and also the creator of, of Dawson's Creek. So I kind of hoped that that collaboration of Kevin Williamson and Katie Holmes might be might be worth it, but no, alas, it lost to go. Kevin Williamson has all of the makings of the kind of person that we really celebrate on Judge Movie because he's very self-aware, um, but he also... Um, sticks within the framework of the Hollywood film. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't usurp it too much. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like apart from Scream, and maybe that's the high end of Wes Craven, um, his films don't really come together at all. Like, I know what you did last summer. is such a great premise for a really, really mm -hmm. bad film. I like that movie. I quite like it. Um but it doesn't quite reach the, reach the heights of Scream. It's yeah. true. Maybe watch it and again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it pretty recently and, and, and liked it. Yeah? Um, yeah. But that was a teen movie that came out in 98, so I'm not going to talk about mm -hmm. it anymore. Oh, I thought that was after Mrs. Tingle. No, it was before. So, yeah, mm. that's why they kind of got the amp the, the build-up to get Kevin Williamson to be able to direct Tingle because of the success of those, those uh. movies. Okay, um, but Mrs. Tingle was was smashed anyway in round one. Yeah. So that and that does conclude round one. So that was round one of the of the teen movie madness. It got quite heated there. Yeah, um, but while we cool down, um, you were at a festival uh, in London last week. Was it at the Barbican? I was. Yeah, uh, very fittingly, I was at a festival called Chronic Youth, which is a uh -huh film festival um all about coming of age films um it's programmed by and about young people part of the barbican's young programmers uh program where they uh they take 25 and unders and they sort of train them and give them experience and in this case they program this festival um and yeah it was a lot of fun uh, the standout was probably their headline film, which was Young Soul Rebels, which came out in 1991. Um, and it's written and directed by Isaac Julian, who's probably best known as an installation artist. Um, and it's set in the 70s in London, in um, on like just on the cusp of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Um, it's kind of structured alongside this mystery where a young black guy is killed while he's cruising in the park and we're trying to find out who did it. And then the climax of the film takes place on the Queen's Silver Jubilee at party and this uh, party in the park. So it's kind of like blowout in that way, but it's also doing something very, very distinctly British with the political stuff. Um, and it's about these young guys. Uh, they run a pirate radio station. Um, so the soundtrack is really crucial and really important to kind of exploring these subcultures and like the kind of compromises you make with your identity, uh, you know, exploring the soul boys and disco and punk um, and being black and being queer and being an immigrant um, in London at the time. And it's a really incredible movie and uh, I really recommend people seek it out. That sounds amazing. Um, that was kind of the film that was on a lot of the marketing, wasn't it? For, for yes. Um, yeah. 
so were there any treasures that you found that hadn't been so well publicized yeah so uh the rest of the program was made up of more more recent um uh sort of coming of age teen movies um there was a korean film called little forest that i saw um that had this sort of this uh, young woman has dropped out of uni and gone back to her hometown to live off the land in this very rural village she grew up in. And it's got this really sort of gently visceral cinematography of the food she's cooking and the preparation of that. And so that was quite, quite, I don't know, yeah, quite visceral and appetite inducing. Um, and another interesting event was the archive session, um, which had, um, British films made by, uh, there were three British films, one from the 70s, one from the 80s, and one from the 90s, made by young people. And they were all there to present a panel afterwards to talk about the like importance of archives and sort of the nature of like diaspora identity um, at those different time periods. So that was interesting, sort of looking at different kind of teen movies from across the years. Cool. Um... The only film that I think I've seen from that lineup was uh, Crystal Swan. Mm -hmm. The uh, was it is it Belarusian film that's produced by Vice. Um, I saw that at LFF last year. Oh yeah, um, I did miss that one, but it looked pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How was it? Oh, I was going to ask you what you thought. I thought you'd seen it for some reason. Um, I wasn't a massive fan because there's um, yeah, I felt it kind of trivialized um, sexual assault. Um, mm -hmm. and used it as a punchline in a way not dissimilar from something like uh, She's Got to Have It, the Spike Lee film. Um, I, f I found it had a similar utility in the film, um, but it had some very cool, I guess, Vice-esque visuals and jokes and, and music cues. Um, but I, I get why it's, it might have been in that young young people kind of film. Yeah. I, I've read this theory that to be a true teen movie, it has to have some level of derision and dismissal from mainstream critics so maybe your like disapproval of this film is just the seal the stamp of approval it needs to to, <laughs> to, it needs. to justify to being a true teen movie because you know not everyone gets it possibly so uh, can you go into this theory a little bit more um what are the other teen films that have been dismissed or do you, um, do you think everything is and then it gets its cult status later on it's not everyone, but it does help because it doesn't speak to everyone. It speaks to teens. And maybe that's the true mark of a, of a good teen movie is when it speaks to teens in a way that, you know, teens are often not taken seriously. Um, so their films aren't going to be either. Um, I don't know, something like uh, Not Another Teen Movie. It's got a 28% Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, people don't really like raunch sort of gross out teen movies, um, but they've, you know, always gone on to have a cult classic status after time. Yes, but but now the, um, I guess the dominant mode of teen movie uh, is the A24 coming of age drama. Um, uh -huh. And they are always have a fresh rating on Rotten Tomato. That's true. Um, hmm. So I wonder, are they, but are those films speaking as much to teens now or are they uh, films made for people to feel nostalgic about? Um. You know, like Lady yeah. Bird being set in like 2002 or mm -hmm. mid-90s, self-evidently. Yes. Um, I think that probably is part of the appeal, isn't it? Um, 
uh, yeah, I guess that is kind of where we're at with teen movies right now, isn't it? Although there's a sort of strong showing, but then something like Love, Simon is also massively critically successful. But is it that critically successful? I feel like it it got a pass from the critics. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't like it. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a lot of audiences that don't like it as well, especially queer audiences, it seems like. Yes, it is It is kind of divisive. Um, trying to think of something similar to, to Love, Simon. That uh, Yeah, even like to all the boys I loved before. Mm-hmm. I guess that's very big of audiences, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What was the what was the kind of atmosphere there? Um, it was good. Yeah, there was a lot of young people, and then there are a few sort of older people like me, sort of hugging the walls, staring at the from the <laughs> sidelines. Um, but yeah, it was good fun. Um, I think it was sort of gently passionate about about the movies and about the atmosphere. It was nice. Um, there are bright pink tote bags. Um, the programmer's magazine <laughs> that you could could take home with little little features to do with the film. That was nice. I did. I definitely recommend the program if anyone is uh, listening and they're under twenty five and want to find out how to program. Recommend it. Okay, so that was those are the teen movies of Chronic Youth twenty nineteen. But let's go back to nineteen ninety nine. Welcome back um, to round two of the uh, nineteen ninety nine teen movie March Madness um, mm-hmm. went to the final eight yep that's right uh, and we've got a well I guess the matchup that we teased in the first round where 10 mm-hmm. things that I hate about you fights against she's all that very similar mm-hmm. um, very similar movies um, but uh, I think there's something about 10 things that kind of distinguishes it Um aside from all the other things that we've already kind of laid out. Um, but um, we've got a listener uh, who's sent in a clip, um, and it's Kathy Brennan. Hi, my name is Kathy Brennan. When Judge Movie put out the call um, asking about what your favourite uh, high school movie was from 1999, um, I knew instantly it would have to be 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, I've watched that film multiple times every year, had like sleepovers like watching that i think i'm planning one um in the future as well and i think what i really love about it is this is gonna sound weird but i love julia styles's character's neighborhood like the houses there like there's that um panning shot where they show like the neighborhood and then it goes into the um living room and she's reading virginia wolf i've Am I allowed to swear? I fucking love the houses. <laughs> um, I grew up wanting to live in one of those houses. Never happened, of course, but I know there's something um, really sort of like... There's like a feeling of paradise about it, that a suburban paradise, yeah, uh, that really struck me. But I also really love uh, Heath Ledger's performance. I think his character is really sweet. Not just the uh, the singing, but I my heart melts when I watch him looking after uh, Julia stars in the party scene when she gets absolutely hammered. Um, and the way he um, just um, looks after her, um, I think I like to I like characters being nice to each other. Um, it's something I really value in movies and 
that's a standout moment for me in 10 Things I Hate About You, and it's why it's one of my favourite films ever. So I would strongly agree, yeah, with what Cathy's saying, that um, I was re-watching 10 Things I Hate About You for, I, I don't know how many times, I'm probably in double figures of, of how many times be. I've seen it. And I agree, like, I was getting very emotional about the Heath Ledger performance. He's so charming, like, he's so charming, I was starting to, like, blush. Like he was wooing me. Um, and he, he's really amazing in that role. I think, yeah, it's a star-making performance in a very and strong cast. So is Julia Stiles. I mean, she, I don't think she ever lived up to this promise of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, probably wasn't given that op- opportunity again. No, it's yeah, it's a great role and a really great performance. It's, uh, yeah. She's, she is kind of shrewish, but she's still very 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 likable and they really give a reason for why she's like that as opposed to she's all that where i don't really like laney at all yeah well laney's like this kind of rich art brat mm-hmm. um but i think in 10 things it, she needs to grow and mm-hmm. i think you understand that like she's very smart but precocious in certain ways that meeting mm-hmm. a real person can change mm-hmm. um I think that's what makes that touching. I think 10 Things also has a very strong idea of cliques. Um, like that scene where you've got David Cromwell's introducing new boy Cameron to, to, to the cliques of the school. I think they're, they're, they're familiar, but they're also quite specific to that school. Um, when you've got like the MBA yuppie types and the, the white Rastafarians and things oh, like yeah. that um they 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 yeah there's a lot of detail in this film not just in visual gags but in like the kind of music and the clothes and i think it really it's a very successful film really i mean those even those cliques they feel um more like you know how in days of confused like there are cliques but they still interact in ways that are natural with Mm -hmm. each other um they're not separated into these binary kind of roles I think. Yes, you know. I agree. And yeah, it's so not it means like that you can you can jump to the Rastafarian guys for a gag and then jump back and it's not, you know, it's still of a piece. Yeah, and she and she's all that. I think, uh, yeah. Well, you, you like it a little bit more than I do, or what? She's all that. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not a fan. I haven't really revisited it that very as much as Ten Things because I just uh, I think I was so disappointed when I finally saw it. Especially now knowing that. M. Knight supposedly ghost wrote it. <laughs> yeah, you know. he had a strong a strong year in 99. He did. Did he reach the highs of Stuart Litt? We'll never know. No, he didn't. <laughs> exactly, we, we do know he didn't. Exactly, um, yeah, that's, that's the take. It goes Sixth Sense, then Stuart Little, and then she's all that right at the bottom. But, um... No, 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 it goes... She's all that's at the bottom... Six senses bang in the middle, <laughs> and then Stewie Lit is number one, driving around in that red Corvette. Yeah, the crimson car. Um, Stuart Little turns up. He's the prom day, etc., etc. Um, <laughs> that would be the ultimate high school movie. Yes, maybe that's what happens in Stuart Little three. Maybe he they grow up to become teenagers. I think there was a Stuart Little three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it was just a cartoon. Maybe it's a teen movie. Maybe it's that. Yeah. Let's find out. Um, Stuart Little three, Call of the Wild. Um, Yeah, they go on holiday to a cabin. I feel like that's always the plot of a third part of a movie. It's just, yeah, they're on holiday. Yeah. 
I guess it lends itself to uh, sort of more adventure. Even Alvin and the Chipmunks mistakes. 3. That's the one where they <laughs> chipwrecked. Uh, yeah, isn't American Pie 3 band camp? No, that's American Pie 2. American Pie 3 is the wedding. Oh, which, okay. But that is kind of a holiday because they all go to like the wedding place together, don't they? Yes. Yeah, there's travel involved in a, so in a new locale. It's like, yeah, let's take let's take the team out of the place they know mm-hmm. and go somewhere else with it. Um, unlike the opposite could be said of Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2, my beloved um, Adam Sandler films, because oh, yeah. in the first one they're on holiday, they go to the, ki- the cabin. In the second one, it's them back in back at home and it, and that's a much better film interesting okay it's weird that that formula still applies even when it's intentional it's not unintentional what that it's better when it's them in their own yes well that's in in grown-ups too it's like you feel the community uh you know lots of different people in the community they go to kmart obviously and they walk around there for ages um, and there's even that party scene at the end. Is Grown anyway. Ups 2 the one with Chocolate Wasted? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I want to get Chocolate I, Wasted. Yeah, because I haven't seen the film, but I have seen that clip several times. And I was literally watching it last night. So it's <laughs> weird that you bring up Grown Ups 2, because that has been on my mind. You should definitely watch it. I think you'd enjoy the uh, Taylor Lautner performance. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, he plays a jock. Classic. But he's good in it. He's, he's, he's good. Is he? Okay, yeah. that's cool. He, that's they, him and his jock friends, one of them's played by like Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, uh, they face off against the grown-ups. Um, mm-hmm. And it, there's, there, are, there are consequences, let's just, let's just say. It's good. Um, anyway, yeah. So 10 things beat She's All That with a, with a stunning 92%. I think everyone's in agreement there. It's yeah. the superior classic lit adaptation. I'd love to have heard from uh, the people that did vote for She's All That. Yes. Stayed very quiet. <laughs> they just did their clicking and left, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, because that movie was like one of, I think it was the most successful teen movie, box office-wise. It was um, huge. Yeah, it was, yeah. was it one of the biggest films of the year. It was, 99. yeah. Um, but no, it hasn't stood the test of time. No. No, but I don't think it was necessarily well received then it just was a big hit yes maybe it's the cast it does have the biggest cast i think of all these movies faces so maybe that's what yeah you're it. right yeah they were already big whereas some of these other ones are the star makers mm-hmm. so then we had uh but i'm a cheerleader trouncing carry two with 88 percent to carry two's 13 percent. i think again no real no real contest here Anything else? Any last thoughts on Carrie too? I liked the girl that played Rachel, who is our sort of Carrie stand-in. I thought she she was interesting and cool, but she needed a better movie around her. I mean, it's funny you saying that about Freeway Two because I actually thought of Carrie Two. Maybe this isn't, and maybe they have just said it's Carrie Two, and then there were the clips. What? Like, it felt like it hadn't been produced as a sequel and then they just slapped the name on later. Okay, yes, I I do agree with you. I was wondering 
what its production history was because it didn't really feel that connected to Carrie. But then you've got Amy Irving there and then they're putting clips in from the original movie and it's like, I guess this was written this way. It's kind of sad. Kind of sad. <laughs> uh, I wondered, were the 13% Carrie 2 stands or were they just trying to bring cheerleader down for some you know, homophobic reasons or whatever? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be that cynical. I was, Carrie 2 does have like some... Does does have it stands. I was talking to my friend because they really loved it, and they were saying like how as a goth kid it really resonated with them. Like there's some cool stuff with tattoos and some of her her problems and her ranks. They felt it was well represented, so it does speak to some people, but not as many as Biomechilida does. Yes. Do you want to take us on to the next? Yes. So our next pair up was the Virgin Suicides up against Election. One of the toughest battles of the entire thing i'd say agreed yeah that was very tough um, um i i can't even remember which way i went because <laughs> these are two of the best films of the year absolutely yeah god uh, i just i really i'm a really really big fan of election i think i've seen it like three times i think i watched it once and immediately watched it again afterwards yeah. um i think chris klein is a is a tricky actor but he is used so well Perfectly, yeah, agreed. Uh, I think it's his first ever role. I think he was literally one of those kids that gets cast because they're, you know, they they're in the area and they respond to the ad, and he was chosen, and he's really good in it. Um, and then he went on to be in uh, American Pie. Well, yeah, you know, in a similar kind of wide-eyed, uh, innocent calf kind of role, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, he kind of just sinks into the ensemble of that one where here every moment with him is its own joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Payne never made a film as good as this. I love Sideways, but like this is, this is his best film. And maybe that's the Tom Perotta's book. I've never read that, but he made the leftovers. So um. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think with this film as well, I think it, it really solidified just how good Reese Witherspoon is. Um, because watching Election after having seen um, Legally Blonde and having seen Freeway, where she plays like this Texan teen runaway, like there's so so much range there, but she sells every single performance and she's so strong. Reese Witherspoon is like the fucking Meryl Streep of her era. Like she's never considered on the same level for some reason, Mm -hmm. but she's so good. And she also now, like, the fact that she, like, produces all these movies as well, like, mm-hmm. and just films that are vaguely interesting to her, like Wild, mm-hmm. you know, just because she thinks that there should be a film with a good role for her. Like, mm-hmm. she rules. Yeah, she's awesome. There's there's not a bad uh, Reese Witherspoon performance. Right. Yes, I haven't watched every single one, but I agree. Yeah, she's she's always strong. Even in something like um, my beloved Wrinkle, um, the Wrinkle in Time, the Wrinkle, yeah, she's she still plays off her own kind of nice persona quite well, I think. Mm-hmm. And so it was sad to see it lose to the Virgin Suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the Sofia Coppola fan base, um, or do you think it's just a more seen movie at the end of the day? I don't know. I do wonder. I don't think you hear a lot of people talk about election. Um, no which is weird because it has such resonance with 
you know, you can look at like the 2016 election in the US. Uh-huh. Um, and it's got very close parallels um, to that. Yeah, I think there's a theory that people... So one of the main characters in election is Matthew Broderick playing kind of a schlubby teacher. And I think pe- there's like a theory that people didn't like seeing Ferris Bueller becoming a loser. But the so actor's what... a loser. He's a murderer. What? Matthew Broderick's a murderer. Okay, but... Well, maybe that's also part of it. They don't want to see him as a loser, while also knowing that he is an, a, murderer, a murderer. So that's why election doesn't really have as much love. It's Yeah, it definitely gets the critical love. I remember The Guardian doing their like greatest comedies of all time, and it was in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love that movie, and I don't think I'd go that far. I think it's, yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's it's um, it's not too it's not assuming it, it like you're talking again about the auteurist kind of thing doesn't uh, impose itself on you even like the Virgin Suicides does. I guess um, Coppola's style is a lot more druggy and kind of um, you can zone out to it a bit more. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find it hard to speculate on. On why Virgin Suicides beat election, but uh, yeah, I guess maybe it just feels that a bit more personal. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's told from the perspective of young people. Yes, whereas election, I think, does have that broader appeal. I think it does maybe have a bit more of an audience with adults than teens. Yeah, I think which that's... could be part of it. But it does work really well for teens. I I think I was probably about sixteen when I watched it. And I should have mm-hmm. told my mates and stuff. Yeah. And it went down well. Same. But R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, <laughs> election knocked out in the quarterfinals at fifty-eight to forty-two percent. Respectable. Uh, it's respectable. It is respectable. Yeah. Um, and then we had. Uh, oh, was this a shocker? Varsity Blues uh, matched up against Go. Mm-hmm. Um, and Go lost with 45% to 55%. Yes. So I hadn't actually seen uh, Go before this top, this 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 March Madness. Um, but the, the Katie Holmes pair-up was irresistible to me. So I put it in there and then I watched it in preparation for this. And then as it went on, I realised it's not strictly a teen movie. Because some of the stories, people in the stories, a lot of them are in their 20s. It's not, like, so much about coming of age. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one. It's definitely using Katie Holmes and playing off her persona. But, yeah. So I thought I remembered it as being in, like, college, but still, like, teens. Like, still, like, younger people. But mm-hmm. maybe that was my negligence of having not rewatched it. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, Sarah Polly, like Sarah Polly and uh, Katie Holmes and the people in the store that they work at are definitely young. I think, yeah, they're definitely possibly in college, um, but they don't really talk about school or education. Um, and it lost to Varsity Blues. It did, yeah. Dawson won. He, he beat <laughs> Dawson the rest. Won. Dawson won. James Vanderbeek beat everyone else in this Dawson's Creek corner. Um. um. So had you seen Varsity Blues before um, before this tournament? I hadn't. Uh, I think I watched it maybe 
up to a month ago. I knew that we were going to be doing this, and I knew it was released in 99, and I've been watching Dawson's Creek for, like, the past several months. So it was on my radar, and I watched it. Um, yes. Um, this movie was god-awful. <laughs> this, this was, like, a film where they just had uh, a ton of actors who they wanted to make movie stars. They had their new roster with, like, Van Der Beek, and Paul Walker and Ali Lata, um, and they just stuck them in the most kind of uh, go America. We'll get fucking John Voight um, to just do the most generic high school football story with no charm. Um, yes, is it? Yeah, it's a sports drama. Uh, set in this very small Texan town where they say football is everything in this town. And there's so much pressure on these boys and then there's so much celebration when they do well. Um, I am kind of baffled about how well it has done. It was, it, was, it was similar to She's or That in that it was really successful at the time. And it seems to still have this love because it's done really well in our, in our polls. I mean, I, I do think Van Der Beek is actually given a really good performance in it. Uh-huh. Um, yep. As in, I think that he's a very skilled actor, but I also think that there's something cold um, and, yeah, something cold and um, narcissistic behind his eyes, which is why okay. he's so good in uh, The Rules of Attraction and in um, Don't Trust the Bee, because he plays uh-huh. those kind of sour characters. Um, okay. Like, I think he almost could have been in Cruel Intentions. He could have been the Ryan Felipe role. Yes, agreed. Um, that could have been cool. And I think the Varsity Blues character while van der beek is playing it well it, he's not necessarily right for it do you think yeah i think you need someone a bit sweeter maybe someone like paul walker <laughs> yeah i felt like varsity blues uh underused paul walker he's kind of there at the beginning and then is is uh cut down in his prime <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, when it when it does the bit at the end where it where the the, the voiceover that explains what they all got up to, I'd actually mm-hmm. forgotten Paul Walker was even in it at that point, and then it came went back to him. And, oh, mm. I mean, so I this movie started. I had middling hopes. You know, I like I love movies set in Texas. I love James Vanderbeek and Dawson's Creek. I was, I thought this might be alright, um, but you know, when you hear those terrible Texan accents, and it as it goes on, it just gets worse and worse. But in hindsight, I do kind of feel quite affectionate towards this movie. Like, I've been listening to that fucking Foo Fighters song because I just oh keep thinking about the movie. <laughs> it, it worked. It kind of worked some kind of nostalgic magic on me a little bit. Yes. I think as far as the um, late 90s soundtracks go, in these films go, where, um, or even Dick with the overuse of 70s period music, mm-hmm. this did the best of them i think where it's still like annoying but at least the song choices were a little bit more inspired yeah um was there some offspring in there some green day some great yeah it is quite it's quite good i think i i don't know i do think this movie is while it isn't always totally successful i do think it's like theme and message of like the pressure they put on you in high school and like whether you can overcome that. I think it does do something interesting with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've seen quite a lot of um, the TV show Friday Night Lights, 
mm-hmm. which is also about a small um, town where the high school football means everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does it a lot better in terms of really seeing the psychological effects on the boys and mm-hmm. painting a picture of the whole town. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's just kind of coloured it where I can't see this, you know, the, the John Voight um, coach is just too much for me. Like He's pretty you know. OTT, yeah. I think it's reaching for that kind of thing, which is memorable. But yeah, it's more of an impression than a very good portrait of it yes and another thing that bothered me about varsity blues is that like it feels like it's r-rated for the hell of it like the way it throws in all these boobs and all these swear (laughs) words and all this like edgy stuff kind of it doesn't it sticks out in the movie rather than feeling like part of its world yeah um this this was a bad film (laughs) Uh, I hadn't heard of it before. I hope never to hear of it again. Um, but well, it did you win. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did beat Go, and it did progress to the to the semi final. And part of me thinks if if we're going to say that Go isn't really a teen film, then fair enough. Yeah. Varsity Blues qualifies. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before we get onto the semi final. Um, yeah, you're going to tell us a little bit about the BFI Flare Festival. Um, what should we do in in these in between? Should we put in some like music from these films or something? Just fucking that Foo Fighters song. <laughs> yeah, that's where you got to have a bit of. The... Oh, God, I. I but really just that intro listening. bit, you know, the bit before it. You yeah. Know, the da, 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 da. I'm like obsessed with it, and it makes me like Varsity Blues more. It's horrible. There are some um, good Foo Fighters songs. Yeah. I was um, wondering, like, is it is the song doing all the emotional work? Yes, it is. So uh, I was at Flair this week, uh, the last week, which is kind of the, uh, I guess in some, some people have called it like the sister festival to BFI uh, London Film Festival. Um, but this is a lot smaller. It's, it's the LGBT plus uh, film festival. Um, and it only kind of takes place in a few screens at the BFI. Um with a lot I don't know I don't know what to say about this festival what what what, what do you want what what should I be saying <laughs> I don't know what what was it like <laughs> it was okay I mean uh I'd say of the three films that I saw I was only able to, to go to a couple of the press showings um but the films they chose for press screens for whatever reason were all um I would say quite um accessible and not necessarily super gay Mm-hmm. If that doesn't seem like kind of gauche to say, mm-hmm. but um, they, the the films I saw were J T. Leroy, uh, the Justin Kelly biopic of um, Savannah no- Noop, who um, well, do you, do you know the story? Is this worth like establishing? I know a little bit about it, but but remind me, remind me, what's the, what's this this true story about? 
So JT Leroy was a persona created by the author Laura Albert um, of this, um, I guess, ex... Um, uh, what, 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 what do you call him? Like, uh, he's a... He's a um, Teenage, a, a teenage, yeah, a teenage boy who'd like grown up uh, in poverty and had been a heroin user and sexually abused and was a had been a streetwalker um, in California and mm-hmm. this is all and it was presented as like memoir autobiography but mm-hmm. actually was just the persona of this middle class writer, mm-hmm. um, which she then as the as the author became as as JT became popular uh she enlisted uh so this laura albert's played by laura dern um and she enlists kristen stewart who is her uh sister-in-law to pretend to be jt for like photo shoots and to meet celebs and stuff okay um and so the film quite interestingly looks at um what it is to kind of perform as like different uh, as different personas to leave your body they keep talking about um and she has a relationship with a character played by um what's her name in Inglorious Bastards Diane Kruger oh yeah so Diane Kruger plays a stand-in for Asia Argento with whom uh JT had a um relationship during the filming of The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things Mm -hmm. um which is based on a JT Leroy novel Although mm-hmm. in the in the film they changed it to being an adaptation of Sarah, I don't know which was her her um, first book. Okay. I don't know why they've done that, but um, <laughs> it's kind of it's it's I'd say it's a success in telling that story. And Kristen Stewart is you know proves herself as ever to just be like one of the most remarkable actors at playing that kind of uh, youthful millennial kind of uh, angst. Um, but I don't think that it does much more than just give you a kind of wikipedia and potentially quite biased to the um savannah noop persona okay biased towards her rather than um the um diane character sorry the the laura albert character okay yes Um, i think that story was met with some quite a lot of controversy because jt Leroy was such a like overnight success and then i guess when the the fraud element came out people were kind of upset right yeah and this kind of um i would say skirts over a lot of the detail of the um the controversy okay um because it kind of wants to be more about the savannah character than laura albert um who's definitely kind of um it reminded me in a sense of something like um can you ever forgive me? Mm-hmm. I think the dynamic is is maybe similar to the Melissa McCarthy and uh, Richard E. Grant dynamic, and okay. it's kind of still in the author world. And it's a period piece. I think they capture the early noughties quite well in this. Um, but you know, is it? It's not particularly transgressive, or it's not. Um, it's not particularly radical. Um, but yeah. I still think, you know, Chris Stewart is always super worth watching, isn't she? Absolutely, cool. Yeah. Do you think do you think this will get a wide release? I don't know. So I think it, it premiered. It must have premiered at Toronto last year, but it mm-hmm. hasn't had a huge rollout. But I think that they are um, pushing it. Like all the all of the books are getting a re- reissue. So um, maybe it, maybe it will. But I think this it, it, people that 
hear about the story are likely to want to watch it just because you know I, I mean I didn't really know much more than the the Cliff Notes version of it before and it's nice to know more now but I think there is a documentary author the JT Leroy story from a couple of years ago that yes. tells the opposite perspective so maybe they're interesting to pair hmm. against each other double bill um but yeah so that wasn't like hugely um out there um and neither were the other two films i saw like giant little ones which is a canadian um film directed by keith berman uh which stars this kid josh wiggins as a uh you know popular high school guy he this reminded me a little bit of love simon so he's he's um you know got everything going for him but he uh experiments um i don't know if that's the right yeah he 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 <laughs> He has an experience with his um, best mate um, who then, in an act of fear, tells the whole school um, that he was uh, assaulted by the, the main character. Um, oh, and it kind of causes a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the plot progresses, you kind of understand that it's um, this boy's... Um, it's really about this boy coming to terms with... Uh, his father, played by Karl McLaughlin, coming out as gay a year earlier. And it's okay. kind of more about that. So again, it's like it kind of devalues the um, gay relationship or the, um, you know, the self-discovery of its lead character. Who's, it's kind of, it's a bit ambivalent about him just coming out and being who he is. Okay. Which maybe runs counter to the, um, the what, it, what it's trying to say about the Karl McLaughlin relationship, I think. Does, okay. does that make sense or is that kind of crude? No, that makes sense. It's curious. Mm. Um, but it's got some nice details, like uh, all the kids wear, have like one headphone in all the time. <laughs> um, things like that, that I was kind of charmed by and it's got very nice production and cinematography um, and the acting's great. Uh, Mario Bello's in there as well. Yeah, that sounds quite intriguing. I'd be curious to see that. Yeah, I, I mean... It's yeah. Again, it's again. It's just not not radical. It's, there's a lot of violence against um, gay people. Um, it's kind of which is lingers on more than say the love scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of wonder if it's actually you know is this made by a straight person? Okay. A little bit. Um, but but um, I, I know I, I enjoyed it as a, when I was in there. You know, so yeah. maybe it'll be good for teens. Um, and then the other film I saw is a Brighton set, Brighton filmed uh, <laughs> movie called Tucked, uh, directed by Jamie Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one stars Jordan Stevens from Little Mix. Oh, awesome. Believe it. Um, as Faith, who's a uh, non-binary um, drag performer who lives, who starts living with a 80-year-old guy played by Darren Nesbitt, who's another drag performer who finds out he's like he's um terminal cancer mm-hmm. um and it's about their um friendship you know intergenerational mm-hmm. friendship it's it's um i don't know it it always feels like it's almost working really well and then it doesn't quite i think the performances are good but again like um the the main character the old guy he's just a straight guy that loves drag um, so it doesn't really get into anything else there. Um, and, and that's fine, but you just, um, I don't know, there's just a couple of kind of cringy scenes where 
of people like, you know, they go and visit a drug dealer and he starts asking them, uh, oh, what? how can you be a man or a woman? And like, he's just like, what are these sequences actually here for? Okay. Um, but it's got nice moments. And I, I do think the chap from Little Mix is actually gives quite a good performance. That's cool. Quite a detailed performance. That's good. How how is how is Brighton looking in the film? Because I feel like there's a lot of attempts to film in Brighton, but not enough, and not enough always. Not many of them capture Brighton. Uh, it, I'd say it, it does quite well. It it, it avoids um, you know just shots of the beach and the pier or anything like that. It's not um, <laughs> it's not like a tourist view of Brighton. It's a lot more like in estates or back alleys. Um, oh, cool. We've you know there's there is like a shot with what's the burnt out pier the old the west pier yes yeah yeah you know, but... there's the obligatory shots of like that okay is it used in it as a metaphor for anything <laughs> uh, possibly At any point oh excellent um but so Brighton what's the lineage of Brighton is it just quadrophenia in cinema I mean uh there's Brighton Rock there's quadrophenia oh, of um there's also London to Brighton. Yeah, um, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging is set in Brighton, but I think it's filmed in Eastbourne. Um, as you say, Quadrophenia is quite a big one. Um, another one is slipping my mind. Um, Sugar Rush was also filmed here, so that's a queer TV show, which is quite, which is all right. Season one's good. So, um, but yeah, yeah, so that's my hometown. That's why I, <laughs> I have an special interest for any any of those that didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good to see cities outside of London um, on film, mm-hmm. and I don't think that this one just like, well, maybe it's a positive or a negative that it doesn't just show like it's not just like Brighton is a you know gay Brighton or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. Uh, it just seemed quite normal. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just. I'm sure there. I'm sure there's a lot more radical stuff at Flair, and I've, mm-hmm. I've seen a, a lot of the short films that I saw were a bit more um, brave or daring. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that they selected to show us um, in the in the press and industry screenings weren't. And I wonder if that's because they're the ones with the biggest marketing push behind them, mm-hmm. um, biggest distribution. Mm-hmm. So maybe they are going to be a little bit more middle of the road. Okay. Um, but I still I think the festival as a whole, uh, you know, has this incredible kind of generous, accessible spirit um, where everyone there is super welcoming. Um, seems like it's a lot more accessible for younger people, for people that haven't been to other festivals mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it, it, it goes at its own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a lot more, um, I don't know. I saw a, there was a lot more like uh, people with disabilities um like or with visible disabilities like in amongst like the the kind of um you know in the delegate center say okay that's cool and yeah and every and a lot more people just come up to you and just have a chat rather than there's not the it's not hierarchical oh that's good okay yeah Um, so that is every year at the bfi right yeah and 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 the other great thing is that they put almost everything onto um the online player so Mm -hmm. Um, a lot more than any other festival I've been to, I'd say, and so that means that you know, it's it's they're not shutting you off if you can't get there every day or if you know for mm-hmm. whatever reason mm-hmm. you can't go to a screening. I, th- I think 
they they seem, seem to care about that a lot more. There's a lot of talks. It's definitely like as much about the networking side of it as the films, I think. Mm-hmm. But unlike some other festivals you might go to, you're not going there looking for a masterpiece as much as you are going to recognise something from, uh, you know, from your experiences or see something new that you haven't seen on screen before, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for the moments rather than the huge... Well, beautiful. You've made that sound very touching. <laughs> With all these movies, you keep talking about how radical they are. And Flair, I guess, itself, its, it's identity as a festival is about its audience and who it's for. So I was wondering why that sort of expectation seems to be there of the radicalness. And maybe it's because of what they're sort of describing or attracting their audience to be. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it's that. But I also feel like um if if someone's going to be accepted into a festival that is actively going for a gay audience or for a you know for a different audience mm-hmm. then um you don't need to like the films don't need to hide anything they don't need to code it so much yes or to like you know not take those risks yes. and i think there's a there's a bit of an agreement between the audience and the programmers maybe that you know by by the fact that you're interested in that means you don't need to have any of those other markers. You, you can can just dive in. Okay. Yes, it's 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 not been subjugated to the subtext. It can, it can be explicitly about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. And I'm sure there is stuff in the festival. You know what I mean? I'm, I've, I've obviously I've seen like Knife and Heart. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that at Rotterdam, that, and that was one of the big hits from flair this year mm-hmm. um so much so they even had a themed party ar- around it mm-hmm. um and that is is totally radical and very full-on mm-hmm. um and is very interesting and articulate in how it plays with um with with queer coding in horror cinema and stuff and, and makes that very explicit um but it's just that in the in the ones that that they showed to the press and i just wonder why that is maybe okay so we're back for the semi-final um which has maybe the hot most hotly contested fight of the entire um yes of the entire tournament. So this is the super tense pair up with But I'm a Cheerleader up against 10 Things I Hate About You. To introduce But I'm a Cheerleader, or shall I say, to cheer on But I'm a Cheerleader, here's Megan Christopher. Oh, oh I'm uh, Megan Christopher, hi. Uh, I'm senior editor at Much You Do About Cinema and also write for uh, Rent for Girls on Top, It's Real Funny, some other sites like that, yeah. My choice is But I'm a Cheerleader, um, which is, I think, is that, is that the only lesbian film on the... Yeah, that's why it's my choice, yeah. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, no, it's my choice because I think um, when you've got, like, um, teen movies like that, um, for me, that representation um, was, like, super, super important. Um, and I do enjoy teen movies because with teen movies, you obviously don't need to uh, think too hard about them. Uh, so I think it's really nice that uh, lesbians and other queer women have um, a part of that 
and that we have something that we can also sit down and um, have a cute rom-com element and also be able to have a laugh and there's like quite a lot of in-jokes um, so that's really sweet. I think when people first like become introduced to lesbian cinema there isn't really a great deal to explore it's kind of like carol and then you're not really sure where else to go and you have to dig a little bit deeper to find um anything that isn't like really overwhelmingly sad so um i think that's where the comedic aspect comes in um again uh the fact and the fact that it's from 1999 as well like there's like a little um it feels quite nostalgic almost um, I can't remember quite when I first watched the film I think I must have been about 14 or 15 um, and again like I was just sort of coming into my own like sexuality um, and it was really great to whilst my friends were watching their rom-coms to have my own shitty rom-com um, that's like really super cheesy um, and to have that like cute romance and for everything not to be all about death and like that all the time like it doesn't always have to be really really sad for us that we can have um, our own happiness as well. I think the first time I watched this I was struck um, by by how it is it's doing rom-com things for a lesbian relationship and it did feel so vital and also so unusual that I was just seeing a very sweet relationship between two young women and with no tragedy and just just like very familiar kind of rom-com kind of thing but it felt so special to see that on there um so yeah incredibly uh significant movie yeah in that respect like um i compared it to john waters earlier but i don't Mm -hmm. mean that as a disservice or to say that it's like trashy at all i think it's it's like celebrating your difference celebrating that Mm -hmm. you can be weird and just be who you are um Mm -hmm. and i think the the whole bit with the anti-conversion house um the halfway house i found that beautiful that all that stuff from those characters you live there mm-hmm. yes yeah, su- supremely funny and it felt very sophisticated with the kind of satirical observations it was making um and that fucking production design is so beautiful <laughs> and exciting i mean watching uh what's that film cameron post <coughs> excuse me um this is like an identical movie to miseducation of cameron post in a lot of ways um and you just realize how kind of humorless and um tacky that film is um watching watching this yeah i mean i was uh, a fan of miseducation of cameron post but that was sort of reaching for a realism and a sort of more withdrawn thing whereas but i'm a cheerleader is kind of going in a different avenue with a very similar setting. Um, so yeah, Natasha Lyonne in the lead role in this. And I think she makes... she's She might have the most film credits in this, in, a, in our Movie Madness bracket. She's in um, Freeway 2, obviously. She's also in American Pie. Um, yep. That might be it. Uh, but, um, she's in yeah, this she one. Makes Was there another prices. one? Um, I don't think so. I'm struggling to remember now. Um, though, she, though she was in another, I think, teen movie that did come out in 99, uh, Detroit Rock City, but she wasn't included, which wasn't part of the, the tournament. Yeah. But yeah, she was like major it girl at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, but in But I'm a Cheerleader, she's playing a very different role to what I've seen her in. I know her as um, 
very uh, aware of her own sexuality and in control mm-hmm. of that in a lot of other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot more confident and uh, here she's um, she's acting with her eyes a lot more. Yes, yeah, it's quite a different role compared to all her others. She hasn't got the sort of Brooklyn accent. She's playing ultra-feminine yeah. cheerleader. Um, yeah, it's really great. She doesn't really play like a popular girl in that sense, does she? She doesn't play a prom queen normally. No. She's more likely to play like a best friend role. Yes. I don't know how I could choose between cheerleader and 10 things. Um, I feel like 10 things I hate about you is everything that you... Uh, could want from a Hollywood film. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's got such a witty, elegant script. Uh, all the performances mm-hmm. are great, and it balances a lot of characters very well. Um, yep. You know, it's updating a classic text. It's it's totally of its era, but um, actually, the politics of it haven't like aged badly at all. Um, mm-hmm. It's super sassy and funny, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, is just more transgressive and a bit more dangerous. And I think that might be what tipped it over the edge here. Uh-huh. Um, I think so, yeah. So it did go on to... Uh, it did end up beating 10 things in this round. Um, cheerleader with 58%, 10 things with 42%. Yeah. And I mean, I think 10 things is, um, again, perhaps more emblematic of the genre, but maybe that's because it's more popular mm-hmm. and more mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a cheerleader. If you haven't seen it, is is you know it's a knockout movie. Yeah, yeah. I did want to talk about a couple of things that are present in Ten Things and a lot of teen movies of this era. Is the is the kind of details that are so unique to the '90s? Like, um, there's always a ska punk band <laughs> in these of neat course. movies. Um, there's like a really big part of that in Clueless and in Ten Things and like tons of them. They they've all got spa, ska punk in them. Um, I mean, what are your feelings about Scarpunk? Uh, I mean, it's good that it, like, stayed in 1999. <laughs> but yes. um, who doesn't like Sublime, right? <laughs> who hasn't had a little Sublime moment? Yeah. There are eras Grateful Dead. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Going on tour of Sublime, man. I don't know. I feel like it's a, an aspect of 90s that doesn't get that much nostalgia or reverence as other parts of the 90s. I feel like the pop punk gets a little bit more nostalgia yep. and has come back in a big way recently. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we haven't really heard from Scar. No. God, that's so fucking 90s. Scar, punk revival, God. <laughs> so um, in 10 Things, you've got um, Mandela, who is... Cat's best friend and she's obsessed with Shakespeare and she's got this kind of alternative girl vibe but she because of her obsession with Shakespeare she's also got this like renaissance fair look <laughs> yeah um, and the Mini Suvari character in the Rage Carry 2 also has this kind of goth alternative renaissance fair look and I feel like that's another 90s thing that I didn't really think about that much but seeing those two movies together I was like of course it's the fucking 90s yeah 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 I think so I don't know what looking at all of these films in close succession actually told me about the era though Mm -hmm. like beyond just a collection of these signifiers I don't know what it 
What does this tell us about like Clinton era America? Just all these super comfortable people, nostalgic for the 60s mm-hmm. um, and the 70s. Um, just kind of happy also... and like... Yes, I think that's really a defining part of the 90s is that they are so happy, but they're also so tired of it all. They're kind of sick of how happy and easy things are. And yeah. so there's kind of like this disdain and like it's easy to be cynical in the 90s because things aren't really that bad. So it's easy to be like really angsty and hate everything. But um, they're sick of these things without being like actually aware of like, you know, socioeconomic issues mm-hmm. or of cultural problems mm-hmm. um you know um maybe that's um represented best by natasha leone in but i'm a cheerleader literally not understanding what homophobia is or you know getting that at all at the start mm-hmm. interesting yeah yes i think um in that Robin Wood piece he sent me um, about teen movies of this era and, like, the sort of lack of class awareness. Like, it's so much in the subtext about wealth and comfort and, like, what the, the you know, the poor kids and the rich kids and stuff, but they don't really talk mm-hmm. about that, but it's always such a part of it. Yeah, I mean, that Robin Wood piece is, is strange, um, but it's quite yeah. good at locating that there is this cycle. Um mm-hmm. And breaking down some of the, the tropes within that, um, when he's not just like rambling about like what he watched as a kid and stuff. Yeah, he goes on for two pages about like how uni was better in his day. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, he just gets away with that all the time. He's he's so that book that that um, is a part of that essay uh, literally begins with uh, it's called. Uh, Hollywood from Vietnam to Reagan. I had to read it for my dissertation. Um, it begins with a um, chapter where he explains how he's just discovered what feminism and Marxism are. And then mm-hmm. he like explains them in these really crude terms. And he's like, uh, he's literally like, I don't know if you know this kids, but there's uh, this movement called feminism. And actually you can read films using, it's so patronized. It's really weird. Um, and he'll continually throughout the book to be like, but if uh, if you have heard of feminism, then you could say this thing. And he's just like, who is this, who is this dude? <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah, I thought he was cool, but I think the only thing I'd read was The Return of the Re- Repressed. He's got and some then, good ones. But then, yeah, reading that, I was like, oh, dear. He's just ego-tripping with this fucking in-my-day stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's an interesting point, but why is it in the middle of this chapter of this book it's absurd it's it is i don't know um he kind of does the same thing in uh he's got a book about this is such a tangent he's got a book about hitchcock hitchcock's films um that people are like this is one of the best books about hitchcock um and then he'll just kind of make weird value judgments and be like well i prefer when the way he does this thing but never mm-hmm. goes into it and you're just like who is this dude anyway <laughs> Virgin Suicides beat Varsity Blues. It did. Um, the Battle of the Vs. Yes, it was V on V and VB <laughs> v, lost to VS. V, yeah, VVV. VVV? VVV. I mean, this was 
the Varsity Blues train had to stop eventually, I think. <laughs> um, and yes. Virgin Suicides was probably its first real contender. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Dick accepted. Um, Virgin Suicides, it's got the big fan base. I guess it was always... It's got the substance, it's got yeah. the resonance, it's got like the cohesive aesthetic. Of course it was going to be Varsity Blues. But you wanted to have a rant about Varsity Blues making it this far. Yes. I I guess I want to know what it is about that movie that people love. I don't know. I think I've got everything. Maybe I've got the poison out. I've had my rant already about it. Varsity Blues. That's fine. <laughs> um, I could rant about something else, though. If, or if you like. Just if you've got a rant. Observation. Um, so I think another very 90s thing is irony. Um, and... Both Teaching Mrs. Tingle and Go talk about irony quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think also a part of irony is that no one really knows what it means because the Alanis Morissette song, you know, is highly contested about whether the things she's describing as ironic are they ironic. And then in Teaching Mrs. Tingle, there's like this running bit throughout the movie that Katie Holmes doesn't know what ironic means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was just like literally the most 90s thing ever. Do you, what did you think of that conversation? Uh, what, well, in Teaching Mr. Tingle, where she's like, why don't you go and write it down? Why don't you go and look in a dictionary at what irony is? Yeah. Oh, but you wouldn't and even then, understand that, would you? Yeah, and then by the end of the movie, she correctly uses irony. There you go. Character development. Kevin Williamson, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about irony. Um in the 90s, it, Gen X, they fucking suck. Um, it's the exact same thing where it's like, we're just going to ignore our, you know, um, our privileges and uh, cover it in a shroud of irony to make us seem like we're self-aware. But actually, you're not at all. And all these people are like super rich for the most part and like don't care. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I say. Another thing about this teen cycle is is just how self-aware they are. I think it's partly to do with the influence of Scream, but also mm-hmm. the 90s thing of just like, they are constantly sort of narrating and, and commenting on their own lives as they're happening. Like they're very aware of the things they're supposed to be doing and, and, and trying to be very smart about that. Yeah, uh, that was just a 90s thing though. Like mm. um, I've talked about my love of David Foster Wallace a lot on the show but like his whole thing was like just talking about irony and like sincerity and then commenting on the fact that he was commenting on that and then commenting on what it is to comment on it and it's just like people there it's just total self-obsession isn't it it's just like (laughs) oh what am i doing by doing this it's just not interesting is it ultimately um I don't know. I kind of like that in the teenagers because it's kind of at that time where you think you you've learned so much and you know everything because you're you're you know you're you're learning so much and you think you know everything. But the tragedy is that they don't. But they keep acting as if they do. Like you know, the arrogance of ignorance is like something that I think is really strong theme in teen movies. But isn't that the same line of thinking that ends up with like Catcher in the Rye kind of like still being in the literary canon even though we'll you know it's it's letting off that book for all the 
bullshit that it says just because you know it's oh it's from a perspective of a young person who's crazy and like it says harmful things um i don't think i don't think that lets it off the hook i think that's just what makes it interesting and then ultimately sad is that they they think they're so self-aware but maybe they're not as self-aware as they think they are I think the better movies um, weave that into the substance a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. to go back to the She's All That, Ten Things comparison. I think Ten thi- mm-hmm. uh, She's All That is just like, hey, look, it's a this is an update of an old story. Hey, isn't this clever? But, like, Ten Things just uses that source text, creates a new story and constantly mines it for... Um, for like character things and for observations rather than just for references, references for their mm-hmm. own sake. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the yes, line I, between irony and yes. sincerity. <laughs> I think you're right, yes. That's where using that idea well and really understanding it, that idea and taking it places, separates the, the winners from the losers on this list. Yeah, and I mean, even... Virgin Suicides is of that same kind of literary tradition. Um, I've not read that book in years, but like from the other Eugenides that I've read more recently, they're very much of a kind of um, self-aware retelling of the Victorian kind of novel, mm-hmm. um, which it does well here in making it kind of more of a nostalgic um, thing. Okay. Which itself is ref- self-reflexive, where it's like by Sophia Coppola maybe using American iconography, like George Lucas stuff. She's kind of rel- going mm-hmm. into the realm of her like father as well, mm-hmm. um, and that's all present. Maybe. I mean, what what what's your read on Virgin Suicides and why it's done so well? Um. I think it's just a stunning movie and it's really powerful. I really love the idea of the perspective it's coming from. With um, It's narrated by Giovanni Ravisi as an older version of the boys who, who lived across the street from the Lisbon girls of the Virgin Suicides. And I really like that idea that it's... Yeah, their perspective on these on these things that they they don't understand and like how they're trying and how it's kind of almost condemning them a little bit and I think that's just a really fascinating idea. Yeah, it rules. I mean, total different league to to Varsity Blues. <laughs> so it all comes down to this, really, doesn't it? Yes. So um, for the third place playoff, we had Varsity Blues up against Ten Things I Hate About You. And um, obviously, ten things are one with ninety-eight percent of the vote there. Yeah, it was a walkover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I but... I don't know. I did just think, you know, who's who's carrying Varsity Blues so far? Will they take it even further? But no, they fell fell. I think Varsity Blues, as soon as it as soon as it had real competition. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it could have beat out something like election, but <laughs> can you imagine? 
No, but I think you're right. Where's where's elections real fan base? And I think that's it's the same with all Alexander Payne films, really. Like, mm. like who's who's going to bat for Nebraska? Not sure. And then, all right, final. The final, the final bracket, the final game. The Virgin Suicides. But I am a cheerleader. Two female-directed movies in our final. Yeah, nice. I'm quite. It's, uh, it's nice that that's happened. You get some points. Mm-hmm. Um, but only one could win. Mm-hmm. Who are you backing? I think Virgin Suicides is a film that I've seen multiple times. Um, and, you know, it's got a bit of a place in my heart. I think it's probably Co- Sofia Coppola's best film. Okay. Um, still. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing I'm a cheerleader this week, you know, it's kind of, it's really charmed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I And I do love how it's, you know, the ending of it is almost like The Graduate. It's like an inverse <laughs> of the graduate. Uh-huh. Um, but it like we don't need to have Hello Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> we can have some Scar Punk or whatever. <laughs> whatever the song is at the end. I I don't think there's much Scar Punk in But I'm a Cheerleader. I think they went a bit of a different route, which I'm pleased about. Um, that they have got some good nineties classics on there. What what were you rapping? I I was also gunning for but I'm a cheerleader. I wanted that to win. Um I think that was that was the film I've revisited more and that I'd want to revisit more with the Virgin Suicides. I think it's the sense of humour that really makes it so like alive and what I love about it. Yeah, I think it that I think that film's aged incredibly well. It's aged into itself. Mm-hmm. Um I'm glad that it's now becoming a film that is entering its own kind of canon, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I think Virgin Suicides is such a strong contender. Um, I think it really taps into something with this idea of mystery and not being able to understand, and like maybe the way that we kind of fetishize the people we're infatuated with, and the way we kind of have this nostalgia for the past and this reverence, and like it's so like you kind of hang hanging on to something that's so ephemeral because it's your teen years and. Um, I think that's really powerful in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at the girls, and they all feel like they're almost one entity. Like they're they're just sort of all part of a piece. All the girls, yes. the way they sort of move, and like how they see them together. Um, yeah. And I was just reading in like the trivia of the Virgin Suicides that the 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 guy who wrote the original book thought that the girls could have he always thought of the girls as an entity and they, he felt like they could have all been played by different actresses depending on who they were talking to because mm-hmm. the girls are just that sort of, like you can't quite catch them, you're always chasing them and the, and the way they they mean more than we really know them. Oh, what you think, he, he could have had it as a kind of um, obscure object of desire kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that was um, what, uh, is it Eugenides? Eugenides, yeah. Eugenides, yeah, that's what he was saying about it, which I thought was an interesting yeah, nice. idea about them. Well, I think it's got a lot in kin with like um, Picnic at Hanging Rock or like La Ventura, which mm-hmm. is kind of um, looks at women in this kind of almost art historical way. 
mm-hmm. where it's like you know like pre-raphaelite kind of thing it's like this myth mm-hmm. around these um mysterious sirens mm-hmm. and i think virgin suicides it's not like a riposte to that as such but mm-hmm. it just br- it just kind of works under your skin to like mm-hmm. make you ask what you're really like lusting for mm-hmm. definitely i think yeah it while it's doing all that though it's not really a celebration of that kind of way of looking i feel like it is like i feel like the boys the way they talk about the girls are given enough to sort of hang them, like given enough rope to sort of almost condemn themselves for like the way they're, they're treating them yes but it's not it doesn't like tell them off as such they no. just grow they're just boys they're allowed to just be like kids i think mm-hmm. yeah in that time mm-hmm. um i think they're quite sweet sometimes uh-huh yeah i guess yeah it's not it's not really yeah it's not really casting judgment it's just like saying that this exists in this nuanced way yeah but for all, like, it's all about this sort of, the, if it, uh, yeah, about from how the boys see the girls. I think it is also really resonates with girls. You know? What, the, the gender or the, the TV show? No, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> uh, the gender. Like, even if it's about how you kind of, the girls are this thing you're chasing, there's still people really, I still, I think, identify with them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's partly like the mise en scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything is, the details are really strong. Um, and the performances with the girls, like you do know who they are and you do like those small details of why they do these little things kind of does resonate. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's just soaked in mood and like, and nostalgia. Nostalgia, not in like a, um, Jonah Hill's nostalgic for the nineties, but mm-hmm. in a in terms of actually tapping into that feeling, mm-hmm. the phenomenological kind of side of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it does well. But um it couldn't take down the cheerleader. It could not, no. Um I'm a cheerleader won this final game with seventy six percent of the uh the audience vote. It won. Prom queen. Da-da-da. Congratulations. How do you feel about that? Um, I worthy winner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a shame that all of the other, you know, ten things I hear about you no longer exists. But, <laughs> um, but I think I think, but I'm a cheerleader. You know, it's it's what teen movie should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it totally deserves that the title there. I think um, Virgin Suicides is a grown-ups movie that you might mm-hmm. watch as a teenager. Um, but I'm a Cheerleader is like actually a film you could watch at any age and really get a lot out of. Mm-hmm. Um, it as, as is you know Ten Things, mm-hmm. um, the third place film. But, That's um, a strong top three. I'm very pleased with that. Yes. Um, a lot of female voices in the behind the scenes as well. I'm really. So, so that's the March Madness. Thanks for voting, everyone. Yeah, thanks so much for taking part. Um, this was fun. Yeah. Um, and we did it in under three hours. 
I didn't think um, we would. If you liked hearing about the films, most of them aren't very good. Hey, no, they're all have at least one thing of value. Some of them have several things of value in them. Oh, really? Yes. Really? What is what does she's all have that have of value? Please. The cameos. <laughs> the cam- no, you okay? So in order, it's to- got the dance scene as well. Yes, that- if you want to enjoy not another teen movie, you do have to have seen she's all that to really appreciate just how accurately and precisely they're making fun of that movie. Yes. Not another teen movie is a very good film. Yeah. So that's uh came out in two thousand one and it's really this kind of answer to to what we're talking about right now. It's 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 looking at those movies and it's doing it very successfully. Does it um is it the same guys that did all scary movie and stuff? No, completely different people. Yeah, because it's got a different vibe. It does, yeah. I think it's it's yeah, it's a, it's good. Uh, and it's got that Marilyn Manson song. It does, yeah. Um, with a lot of the cast of not another teen movie appearing in. In the video. In the video for Tainted Love, it, yeah. You got yeah Chris Evans being shoved over. You've got um, I'm not sure if Ron Lester's in it, but you know. A lot of the the main gang are. That's that, and that's got a makeover. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. In that video. Mm-hmm. You got to have a makeover. Um, in a video. In everything, yeah. Yeah, it is right. Yeah, so you know, if you've got um, any problems with what you've heard, you can blame the voters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that. At Judge Movie Pod on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you can also email us at judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to see the brackets, maybe print it off and play your own version or get some links to some of the things we've been talking about, um, that'll be on our website, uh, which is judgemoviepod.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>